Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Growing Forward Together. My name is Kenita Skripsma, and I am the founder and CEO of SEMA Global Consulting, LLC, and an international speaker and author. I'm so glad you chose to join us today. We are an organization that is passionate about promoting inclusion through group workshops, leadership development, and transformational coaching. That's specifically for individuals who want to grow forward in healthy ways. For more information on what we do at SGC, please visit our website at www.semaglobalconsulting.com and drop me a note at the contact page. It might get you a spot on our next podcast. And while you're there, you'll have the opportunity to subscribe to my blog as well. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and you will find some of the links at our uh, website as well. So for today, my guest is David Rowell. Um, he is a gentleman that I met through one of the networking opportunities I had several months ago before COVID, life before COVID as we know it. Um, and we've had the opportunity to meet and to talk and to get to know each other better. David is um, residing in the West Texas area in the US. And um, the premise of his work is primarily being a parody consultant. He's an author, a coach, a trainer, and my favorite, social justice champion. And um, we were really engaged in conversation around women in business and leadership. And it just struck me as um, unique for a, a man who's really passionate about this work to kind of continue to grow his platform. So I, I welcome you, David. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I look forward to Absolutely, I look forward to getting to know you better today and then also for our listeners to um, just really get a better understanding of what does it mean to stand with women in business and leadership. And um, so could you tell us a little bit more about what is the premise of the work that you do? Um, I actually have my fingers in several different areas. I do some general diversity work. I've done some team building work in the past. Uh, I'm also an associate of another firm. I do some LGBTQ work, but I guess the focus really is on the gender work um, gender equity, gender equality, gender empowerment, mm -hmm. uh, balanced gender mainstream, all these different areas, but uh, obviously the focus on gender itself. I've done work um, in the empowerment arena with women's leadership workshops. Uh, I've done work in gender relations a bit, but mostly the balance of it has been in gender balance, that being, um, my definition, which is contribution and influence parity, more so than numbers or ratios or this. So I'm all about uh, whether it's in gender or even in the LGBTQ work, uh, if there come, is a theme to my work, I'd have to say it's about raising the value or at least respecting the value of everyone in the workplace, um, allowing them to contribute and have influence within an organization. Mm -hmm. You know, Kimmy, I think a lot of times when you talk about gender, it, it is talked about in terms of ratios. And a lot of times it's talked about in terms of career ladders. Mm -hmm. But there, obviously there's a lot of women out there, I think, that just want to be valued in the world. I agree. Just want those opportunities. And, and that's, what, that's really what my work's all about, is making sure everyone is valued is given those opportunities to participate fully, whether they want to climb the career ladder, great, or whether they just want to be respected 
for the work they're doing. Mm, thank you. I appreciate that. I like the way that you're really enhancing the word value because so often people are in roles and in jobs where they don't feel that value. And I think with your focus being on gender, um, but it's the opportunity to really help enhance what they're, they are as people, right? And as, as right. individuals. Right, exactly. Um, so what I really focus on is ways to garner that respect, not that the onus is on women, obviously, but it's a way for organizations to enhance their respect for everyone in the workplace, especially women, and as well as the empowerment piece of BNO, women being able to raise their own stature within the organization. Mm -hmm. Great. That's great. Yeah. And I like how you're saying actually both sides, right? Like um, it's especially women, but I think there are a lot of men in the industry that really want to help support and encourage and empower women to kind of start to balance out the workplace um, and the communities that we work and serve in, yeah. correct? Yeah. In fact, if you look at the statistics, I've seen some pretty much around 77, I've seen 80% in this area of men who say they want to help women in this cause, but uh, honestly, most of them just don't know what to do or won't take. Um, there is some risks involved in, in championing the women's cause for men, a bit, and be they very minor in my mind, um, they just don't want to take them in some cases. Yeah, yeah, and I think there are some that maybe feel like, why does a man have to support me to get where I need to go? Why can't I just do it myself? And I think, you know, in some ways it's like, that's true. But the other is also true because it's been so male dominated, right? The workplace yeah. in different situations. And so making room, would, could we say that we're, your men are trying to make room for more women to be at the table? Yep, yep, obviously. And when it comes, that's a great analogy. I love that making space at the table analogy. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't quite go far enough. When I, when I talk about that, what I really want to say is, yes, make the space at the table, invite the women in, but then once they're there, give them the respect. Mm -hmm. First, give them voice. Yeah. Allow them to contribute and then value and respect those contributions. Yeah. So it's just a matter of bringing women to the table. It's a matter of giving them voice and valuing that voice. Absolutely. Um, several weeks ago, I did a blog and a podcast called Setting the Table. And, um, you know, considering that angle, that, po that position is what I'm saying is, you know, we all have a table that we come to. And so if you are somebody who is setting the table, if you're in charge of being the host, if you will, how are you setting the table? How inclusive is the table? And are people actually at the table representing whatever group you're trying to get at? Or are they actually involved in the process, right? So you're, you're embellishing on that point as well to say it's important that they're involved in the process. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Um. So just wondering, how did you get passionate about this work? What, where did it start? I remember a story that you shared about in your previous workplace. Um, and I don't remember all the details, but you were trying to work um, on a particular project and um, it ended up becoming a really strong focus around the women and you wanted the women to own it and they weren't owning it. So yes. I'm just curious, like where did this all start for you? Be passionate to do this work. Well, you always wonder how much is affected from, from childhood. And, and, and if I, if there's time, I maybe could go back and identify that it started there. But uh, it, in my work, years ago, I was doing team building for the federal government. And that, at the same time, I was doing a bit of diversity instruction. 
And as luck has it, sometimes sometimes these things are all about luck, Canadia. Mm -hmm. But as that I was asked to weigh in and do some evaluation on some diversity training materials. Um, my evaluation and report to the headquarters on that project led me to become part of a national council. And from there I became chair of that national council. And one thing leads to another, right? And so yeah. uh, while I was chair of that council, um, one of our executive leaders was invited to go to uh, Geneva to a conference where the focus was on gender. And it occurred to her that from the US standpoint, we didn't really have a lot of talking points on that topic. And so she came to our council asking me, do I know anyone that is well-versed in gender that could help her prep for this conference in Geneva? I said, well, as, as as timing would have it, I've been doing a lot of reading and research in this area over the past several months, and, and I'd be glad to give you some, some talking points. Well, long story short, those talking points went over very well at the conference, and when this executive came back, she decided to form a gender focus group within our family. Mm. And this is, this is the story that you heard, Kanita. Um, that gender focus group was composed of myself, uh, and about a half a dozen other women, most of them from Washington, D.C. I was a lone person outside of Washington. I was actually working in Kansas City at the time. But the other unusual thing about it, uh, right away, uh, the other women on the team um, didn't immediately jump to a leadership role. It kind of felt, felt to me by default. And mostly, I think, because these women had very very good professional careers uh, and they didn't want to jeopardize those um, by being putting themselves too much out in front of this issue i believe is what what part of the case was or there may be some other things involved but um, it wasn't my choice to lead this group but it kind of fell on me to do so which which did honestly kind of surprise me but but from there, that's that's where my my real focus and interest and passion all all came to center, uh, came together in this work that I did. Huh. Really interesting. That's great. I I do love that. Yeah, how one thing leads to another. Isn't there a song by that title? Or <laughs> one thing leads to another. Um, and I just love that, right? And it sounds like to me, you know, as I'm thinking about how do we grow in our organizations, how do we grow in the stuff that we're passionate about. And I guess what you're saying is pay attention to the connecting dots, pay attention to what leads to yes. what, and just kind of keep following that, right? Yeah, I wonder, so I, I'm, I've always been kind of envious of those folks who just seem to know what they're supposed to do in life, because I'm not sure how many of us or how many people out there have that experience. Um, with me, um, it, it kind of found me more than I found it in a sense. I, it wasn't what I was looking for, but uh, it's what came to me and it feels very good. Huh, that's really neat. Yeah, so that's great. You've got experience this team building, which led to the diversity work, which led to the gender work. And so you're kind of camping here in this space um, as a man in a world of helping um, equality and equity within the context yes. of gender in our workforce. Um, so knowing that you've, you've kind of gone through some of those connecting points, what are some roadblocks or hurdles that you've had to overcome in this work that you do? I know you've said you've maybe you've got some other men that are really passionate about the same work, but, and that's good allyship, 
right? Mm -hmm. But in yeah. terms of for you, what are some um, roadblocks or hurdles that you've come across? Well, as you kind of alluded to, uh, just being a male in this field comes with some questioning. There's been a number of times I've pitched ideas to do this or that, and I get pushback. You know, why, why would we want a man to do this for us? Um, not, not to be sound flippant or anything, but there are some answers, some answers I, I give and some answers I've heard from other male consultants in this arena that specialize in allyship. Um, for one thing, in most organizations, not all, of course, but in most organizations, uh, males are still the dominant influence in that organization and, in, yeah. and therein have the power. And so you want the people in position of power to help for one, uh, for the other, you want those perspectives of those power positions to be inserted and be of value, I would think. Um, and then, then again, I'd also say, well, in this grand scheme or grand vision of equity, certainly it would not be well for a man to say, well, I don't want, I don't want a female to teach us leadership. How can a female teach men leadership? <laughs> we know that's nuts. So by the same token, it, it has to be the same that um, men are certainly capable of teaching women's, women's leadership as well. And mm -hmm. so that's been a hurdle, but honestly not a very, very big one. Those have been honestly the very rare instances. Okay. Most people, I think, do recognize the value of allyship. Yeah. They do. Mm -hmm. And so, so not that many hurdles overall, the occasional, but it's not been a big factor. Okay. That's great. So you feel like a lot of people that you've been working with um, have been pretty open to this work, um, especially from where you hail? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't do much work locally, um, but I have done work internationally as well. Okay. And um, my colleagues in Europe, um, they do, in a sense, have an easier go at it. Um, the conversations are held more freely. Yeah. There's not as much pushback on initiatives uh, over there as there is here. And so in a, in a sense, that's, that's kind of a hurdle itself, just being in, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, even some of these concepts, I worked with a couple of U.N. organizations specifically on the topic of gender mainstreaming, uh, which is a term over there that really puts a focus on gender in all initiatives, programs, decisions, and discussions. Um, I tried to bring that concept back to the U.S. within in the government and and got pushback on that as well. They want to, um, they're very interested in the gender equality issues of non-discrimination, equal pay, and these type of things, but to really take the next step and make gender a focus of works, programs, and initiative, um, they really didn't want to look at in that way. And so that was a little bit of pushback in that realm as well. So it's not really West Texas that's um has me kind of a unique spot but if we look at this thing globally in different spots around the world it's going oh. to be differently yeah do you think do you know why you think there's been pushback here in the u.s like why it's a little harder to get some of this stuff moving forward? honestly i think it has to do with uh legalities mm. within the organizations i worked in with the federal government everything everything i tried to do everything my team tried to do um, the initiatives were always met with great embrace by leadership, but then leadership says, wait a minute, let's run it through legal. 
And likewise, even in the public sphere, um, they want to make sure that um, they meet things such as Title IX, Title VII, want to make sure that they're safe in those regards before they take on anything. So I think some of the hesitancy does become, does come from the legal aspects of it. Okay. Maybe those legal aspects uh, aren't as stringent in Europe. I don't know. I honestly don't know why they have a little bit easier go of it than we do here in the U.S. Huh, that's interesting. Thanks for your opinion on that, though, at least. That's mm -hmm. great. Um, so, okay, when you talk about allyship, though, you know, kind of thinking in that terms again, um, can you be very, can you be a little bit more specific about the kind of support that you have as an individual to do this work? Um, yeah, I think first and foremost, it came from um, executive leadership mm -hmm. in federal agency where we first formed this gender focus group and that executive leadership was female. Oh, uh, okay. Other executive leadership, there were other champions involved, but honestly, sometimes these champions were more silent champions. Yeah. Uh, or they may voice their championship, but not be quite as active. Um, yeah. So allyship uh, did come initially from a female in an executive leadership position. Um, going forward, there are a lot of people, if, if you really, I, I really think we need to have more of these discussions because for no other reason then is when you have these discussions in an agency, an organization, a facility, in a work group, wherever, you tend to identify these allies and champions tend to come out of the woodwork. Gotcha. Uh, I was really surprised. I'll tell you a little story if, if you don't mind taking sure. a few. Sure, absolutely. I was, I was involved in a women's leadership workshop in Rome a number of years ago. Uh, and the participants of this workshop were female professionals in the area of hydrology. And this was put at the front end of a global hydrology conference. And as you can imagine, the female hydrologists were a vast minority compared to male hydrologists. Mm -hmm. So we do the workshop and then the, then the greater conference convenes. And then the first night of the conference, uh, I stuck around and went to a reception. And so I'm sitting at a table of all older white male scientists, right? Sure. And what did they want to talk about? And talk about very passionately, by the way, uh -oh. to talk about, about uh, gender equity and gender empowerment. Okay. They, knew, they knew what I was there for. I introduced myself and they said, oh yeah, we've heard about this. And I was going to let it go because I figured they want to talk about their science, but no, what they wanted to talk about and what they talked about for a very long time and very passionately was gender equality. It's only to prove that if we open up the discussion, there are a lot of champions and allies out there mm -hmm. that have these type of discussions. Absolutely. I find that in the culture arena as well, when the conversations start and then you start to find who your allies are and who you can trust. And for those who don't know what an ally is, it's somebody that walks alongside with you and is willing to um, embrace what it is, the hardship or the struggle that you're going through without having to have the experience, but they're there to support, right? And so I think um, you're right. I think conversation is key. I also think a lot of people are afraid um, unless they're in the right arena or, you know, with the right group of people. And so looking for that safety 
um, I think allies provide that kind of safety in that space as well. That's great. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, there's more good stuff because you wrote a book and I really want you to talk about that for a few minutes. Um, your book titled Value and Voice, Solutions to Organizational Gender Balance. Why did you write the book? What is the book about? So you can do a better job of explaining it to our listeners than I ever could. Um, and yeah, tell us more about that. Um, the why is, is simple. I wanted, I wanted to reframe this conversation. Again, uh, one of the agencies I spent, um, I didn't say this at the beginning of the program, but I retired from the federal government about two years ago before I started parity consulting. But at the end of that career was when I was focused on this gender work and it wasn't a scientific organization that was greatly imbalanced in terms of numbers of males and females. And in a scientific organization, it just was very, it was difficult to adjust the pipeline to try to rectify those numbers. And for a number of years, we just kept beating our heads against the wall. How can we change this balance in the organization? And it really caused me to start thinking, what are we trying to accomplish? And it, and it dawned on me, even if we can only move the numbers little by little, we can move this initiative much farther forward by looking at the problem a little bit differently rather than focusing on the numbers themselves. Let's focus on what we're trying to accomplish with those numbers. And, to, and it occurred to me that what we're really trying to accomplish is this parity I talk about in the workplace where, where women's voices are equal to men's voices, where women's contributions are equal to men's contributions and where women's influence is equal to men's influence. And it occurs to me that that can happen irregardless of the numbers. And so the book is all about reframing that so that we, I point out that what really matters here beyond the numbers themselves are what's happening in terms of contribution and influence, reaching mm -hmm. a point of contribution and influence parity. And then I go on to outline uh, specific steps about how you can enhance that and try to work towards that greater parity in the workplace. That's great. Uh, I really, based on my experience, uh, I, I wanted to show that we don't have to be locked in on these numbered solutions. We can find other solutions beyond the numbers themselves. Yeah, that's great. That's fabulous. Thank you so much. Where can our listeners find your book? Uh, just go to Amazon. Okay. Through Value and Voice by David Roll, and, and there it is. Great. And that's R-O-W-E-L-L -L for Rowell? Correct. That's fabulous. Um, all right. Well, you know, the pandemic hit and everybody was relegated to their homes and we're all working from home and we're trying to stay on top of learning so many things as you and I were sharing before the recording started. And um, so what's next for you? You know, you, you've been doing some consulting, some conversations and whatnot. What's next? Yeah. What's next? Um, been working on a proposal for an organization that We've had, you and I had this conversation even as early as today, the Black Lives Matter movement, again, being a big believer in opening up the dialogue is catalyst to change. Uh, this is an organization that saw what was happening in the media regarding Black Lives Matter and took a look at their own organization and their racial equity efforts within their organization and decided there were shortcomings there. Uh, and so they, they wanted to get proposals from consultants to go in and help vet out their uh, Black Lives Matter response. Mm. So I've been working on that proposal. 
Then the other thing I'm doing is uh, I have background in LGBTQ work. I'm an associate consultant of another firm called Folks Consulting, and we're getting ready to do our launch uh, of our services in okay. the LGBTQ work. Uh, and then um, aside from that, gosh, what else do I got going? Um, you and I both are involved with Systemic Diversity and Inclusion Group. Yes. Um, the vision of which really aligns with one of my key beliefs that, as I've said a number of times throughout this program today, conversations can be very powerful. Mm -hmm. The things I love about SDIG is they're all about having these difficult, open conversations on topics and issues that hopefully become catalysts uh, for change and improvement in some of these areas. And so I'm very involved with the founder, Dr. Joseph Nawal, building SDIG into the vision we share of being a global platform of dialogue, which can be catalyst to change. And so I spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to make that vision a reality. Yeah, that's great. Sounds like you've got your hands full, that's for sure. And yes, I have really enjoyed being part of SDIG as well. And um, looking forward to more conversations with that group and with amazing people that I've met as being part of that group. And um, I've definitely enjoyed our conversation today, David. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, for our listeners here, well, first of all, are there any closing comments that you would like to make? No, I, I guess what I'd say is I'd recommend um, looking up SDIG. Uh, again, it's, it's just an opportunity to get involved in, in the important conversations that are occurring out there. So check us out on LinkedIn or go to the systemicdiversity.org webpage um, and, and look at our activities. Join our conversations. And if not there, join a conversation somewhere. Absolutely. Uh, be, part, be part of the dialogue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely a great shout out for SDIG. Um, I know I got involved with it because I was often hearing the phrase systemic racism. And then when I saw systemic diversity, um, based on the culture work that I do, it was just so life-giving. And so then, you know, kind of connecting with Dr. Joseph and then yourself as well and a few other folks, um, it's been great to see how they're continuing to uh, really make it from like a positive spin, if you will, on the, the difficulties and the disparities that are happening in our society today. So it's you know, great to be part of a fabulous team um, with you and him as well. So um, again, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this conversation. I hope our listeners have enjoyed uh, hearing from you. And um, for all of you to know that you can find all of David's links at our website. Um, at the blog. There will be a written blog about our interview here today. Um, you'll be able to contact him through there, whether through LinkedIn or his other connections. You can find his book, The Value and Voice, um, Solutions to Organizational Gender Balance. You'll find the link at the website as well, at my website, and then um, you'll be able to find that book on Amazon as well. So thank you, uh, David, for joining us today. And here's to growing forward together um, in all the conversations that we have, and hopefully we will be putting action to those words in the future as well. Always a pleasure, Kanita, always. Great. Have a great day.